This episode is sponsored by Parsec for Teams, the only remote desktop fine-tuned for game development. Parsec's silky smooth UHD video and precise controls lets game makers build and test games from anywhere seamlessly using programs like Unity, Unreal, or Maya. Collaborating is simple. Share a link and you're working on the same screen at the same time. It's the closest thing to being in the studio together. Join the hundreds of studios already using Parsec for Teams. Sign up at parsecgaming.com forward slash teams. Plans start at $30 per month. Hello, and welcome back to the Game Maker's Notebook. I'm your host, Robin Hunnicky, here today to talk with Arvi Tekari about indie game development, game jams, uh, tools for creation, and the creativity that comes from just making games from passion alone. Really fantastic conversation in which we talk about how Arvi got started and how the game jam community scaffolded some of the game designs that he worked on, including his fantastic game, Baba Is You. Thanks for joining us. Here we are. Welcome to the Game Makers Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Makers Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. And I am here during COVID times, uh, interviewing developers through the magic of the internet to continue working on our series, which uh, with me generally focuses on independent creators and people who are pushing the bounds of game design. And I am thrilled today to be speaking with Arve Tekari, who is actually a Finnish game developer um, responsible for the most amazing game of all time, Baba Is You. And so we're going to be speaking with Arve today about the process of developing games and whatever else uh, comes to mind. So Arve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having, having me here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm. I'm. Uh, I guess I should start off by saying that we met initially when you started to show Baba as you um, at Experimental Gameplay Workshop. That was how we initially uh, came into contact, and of course, I fell in love with the game immediately. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this game and yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think I. Hmm. Well. Usually, when I give a give like a talk or presentation about Baba Is You, I start by introducing myself. But I guess I'll I'll follow your. You uh, can do it that way too. Let's go with you <laughs> and then the game. Let's do it. Okay, okay. It's it just feels more natural because God of Baba Is, <laughs> Baba Is You is a result of what has happened to me during this life of mine. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so I'm I'm a Finnish game developer based in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, I'm be making games for soon 20 years i think although obviously mostly mostly as a hobby i got started got started when my when i was a kid in kindergarten many of my friends me included had like older siblings who played video games during that time when like nintendo 64 and super nintendo were big things and i remember that in kindergarten all the kids wanted to draw their own games on paper and let like friends yeah play them by showing with their fingers like I, I'm moving here I, I do this and if you were mm. friends with someone they always beat your levels if you didn't like someone they always died in your levels and so on and uh and my cousin had a Super Nintendo I played Super Mario World on that and it left a big impression so I had like this interest in video games from a very very early stage and then in primary school a schoolmate introduced me to game creation tools these programs that don't necessarily require like programming knowledge that are more like visual game maker in this case and that kind of that was finally the kind of oh yes now i can actually make games without knowing how to program <laughs> and, uh, it can be me <laughs> yeah that like it was it was fantastic because like i was a finnish primary schooler i was i had a very low attention span during that time like i trying to make games with actual programming at that time would have been totally impossible and actually when we started making games with the game maker, I pretty quickly ran into the again with the, to the same problem. Like game maker has this scripting language, the GML that you need to know to do anything more advanced, like for example platformers or something. 
And uh, yeah, it turned out that not understanding English, not having the patience to learn that scripting language was all, uh, again, very limiting. So I moved to other programs pretty quickly. And so I like we had this small group of people making games in primary school, but all the other people eventually lost interest. I didn't. And I kept making <laughs> games as a hobby and it kind of became yeah. this, like my biggest, biggest hobby over the yeah. years and eventually turned into a career, which led into my two commercial titles, Environmental Station Alpha and now Baba Is You. Did you have and, friends uh, at that time that was, that did, was, did anyone stick around? Did you have anyone in your circle immediately or were you then sort of connected to an online community when you were at that age? Where, what was that like? Uh, yeah, basically it was... I, uh, well, it, it's hard to, it's hard to say, like talk about school grades and, uh, stuff when translating from Finnish to English, because obviously things change. I think I usually translate this Ula Aste in, uh, the Finnish concept to upper secondary in, uh, English schools, but I don't think it's a perfect match, but I think by, by the time of this, so to say upper secondary. I was pretty much the only person in this group of schoolmates who who was still like very interested in making games. I know that some people still made some stuff, yeah. but I was kind of obsessed uh, <laughs> on a, on a deeper level with that. I might be wrong. I might be misremembering at this point, yeah. but so did, definitely so by it, by high. Sorry, you you did it out of passion. You did you didn't you didn't really have a community. You were kind of going off on your own in that case. Yeah, there, there were some some like a uh, this program I moved to from Game Maker called uh, the Games Factory and later Multimedia Fusion were made by the same company or or a company called Click Team, a French company I think, uh, which had it, it was kind of the first company to make these. Uh, non-programming required. Actually, their prog programs don't require any programming knowledge at all. They're like fully visual, which was perfect for me as a primary schooler. And uh, they started with a program Click and Play in 1994. And uh, because they were kind of first on the market and because they their programs were so easy to use in comparison to basically anything else, and because they were kind of more advanced at, at a certain point in time, there were several communities built around their programs specifically, which were actually very kind of insular and kind of hostile towards any other game creation tools. <laughs> and yeah. uh, kind of when I learned English enough to be able to at least theoretically hang around on an internet forum, I immediately moved on to, uh, there was, for example, a site called The Daily Click, which was based around these click team tools. And that was kind of, where I formed my first game developer friendships yeah. on some level outside of these schoolmates. That's cool. It's really, I mean, what's fascinating to me just even at this very early stage of hearing about your career is that you, you were, you are the result of democratized tools that reach kids at an early age. And then it was so juicy to you, the idea of being a game developer, that you stuck with it despite, you know, what would be being sort of, a, you know, an independent person in your own community and then, and then, and then found your own community, which is a really, it's, it's very inspiring, you know, to have to learn another language to do that on top of it is, it, I mean, it, it, it marks you as a game designer, right? Because I feel like, the, like the, the field tends to find us. And then once it's found us, we tend to just follow along. So that's really, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, uh... Well, to be honest, like doing this had a lot of perks because obviously I learned a lot of English by do uh, by doing this, and I've been like knowing English has been very useful in in many ways elsewhere as well. But it's kind of and also I feel that uh, English for me as a kid had that kind of cool sound to it, like being able to say things in English and being especially being able to name things in English had this kind of coolness Power. to it which is also <laughs> yeah like, kind of the same way that i feel that many people find naming things in japanese has this kind of yeah it sounds cool it sounds more mysterious or i don't yeah. know like there's this like when you don't know a language very well it sounds more interesting and i remember that when i played the game f-zero on super nintendo as a kid there was this green 
uh, I don't know, spaceship race, space race car, whatever they are. Those cool uh, called wild goose. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that what a wild goose was. For me, it was like, oh, it's like a techno monster or something. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I found the name super cool. And I was really disappointed when I finally kind of translated it to Finnish. And it was like, uh, oh, Willy Hanhi. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's like a, so mundane. <laughs> and yet the subject of a very, very popular game. So, you know, you, know, you never know when, when yeah, pieces are going to uh, turn out to be something spectacular. It's very funny. Okay. So you're, you're working on this game kind of platform and you're creating games. And then where does that take you out of secondary school? Yeah. So, uh, uh, especially in high school, I started forming a, maybe a bit more kind of long lasting game developer connections. Like it, uh, those, for example, this daily click site was definitely more of a like random jumble of people from everywhere uh, showcasing their stuff, and I didn't really participate that much in the like in the deepest parts of the community. I did join, I, I chat, chatted with people, I made games, I participated in discussions, but not like a super huge amount and in high school I started being more aware of other sites outside of these click communities as they were called uh, for example the the independent games source tig source as it was called and for yeah. me tig source was kind of the larger more mature community to move on to that I I think it's like 2009 or 2008 when I started moving over to there and there and in the community surrounding TigSource, I kind of made my first or at least my second or third uh, kind of more proper, so to say, social connections to indie developers. And uh, during those times, I got introduced to the concept of game jams, this kind of gathering yeah. together with people and making games uh, during with like a time limit following a theme usually. And that uh, kind of interested me a lot. I don't remember exactly why I was super interested in that concept. I remember that Ludum Dare, this online game jam that has been going for like a over a decade now, uh, well over a decade, I think like 15 years now, was the first time I ever participated at a, at a game jam. Uh, and they, I, I guess it, it might be because these game creation tools that don't require programming are especially good at like quick prototyping. I, my first games were made in like, uh, or my first games that I put online for people to play were often made in like two weeks or something. I just made something, put it out, didn't really care, maybe fixed like the worst bugs, but, and, but I was happy with them even though they were like terrible in many ways. Yeah. It's funny and because you know, yeah. go ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, just kind of game jams support this kind of approach. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. So, so, so when I when I first started working with the people that founded the first game jam, one of the things that we were really trying to do was to create a sense of um, the freedom to iterate. Because back then the tools were exactly the opposite, right? Like if you wanted to write a game, you had to write the whole engine, and it was really difficult. And so. The very first game jams uh, started out with us building an engine and sharing it with a bunch of people, giving them some time to become familiar with it, and then just saying, make anything with this little weird engine that we made. And so mm -hmm. it's so fascinating that like within 10 years of that process happening, there were tools and organizations around those tools that were doing that practice as the foundation of developing games. Um, and it's, again, it's just really inspiring to know that that, that those that those initial ideas of, of iterating and trying new things ended up influencing a game like yours, which is so, so innovative. So that's just really, that's just a cool thing. Yeah, I, re I remember that, for example, for example, in this uh, Ludum Dare community, uh, Unity was only kind of starting to become a thing. So for many people, uh, making a game for a, jam like 10 years ago was still still quite a lot of work and i remember that there was some discussion that maybe maybe programs like multimedia fusion the one i was using i'm still using should be banned because it makes things a little bit too easy or like uh, skews the balance wow uh, balance a bit too much because it, well yeah the, I, I can understand the reasoning like those programs 
do a lot lot for you in comparison to someone who is using like Python and has to do yeah. way more like framework uh, around the game before they can even start. I, I guess nowadays the situation might be different for even Python users, and I'm pretty sure it is. But at that time, I could see the reasoning, but obviously because I was using Multimedia uh, Fusion myself, I I wouldn't have liked the idea. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was kind of when I moved from game jam, like Ludum Dare to physical game jams, uh, that was kind of when I started finally actually meeting in real life these future game developer friends and stuff. And that was a very big, big point for me uh, with becoming a serious game developer. And I'm still friends <laughs> with many of those people. Yeah, those those transitions are 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 sort of facilitated by both the groups and then eventually the gatherings. Um, did you do in person game jams that had like an in particular impact on you, or were you mostly doing these through the network? Uh, yeah, there were two game jams that I kind of uh, because my first time traveling alone in a foreign country was to go to my first game jam in Shövde. Uh, Sweden to a game jam called No More Sweden. The name sounds kind of scary, but uh, it does. But it's it's a. I think the the idea behind the name is that someone made a joke, like some, uh, someone made a joke when traveling with Swedish game developers to a game jam that if this train we are in right now would crash, then there would be no more Swedish game developers. I don't remember the exact story, <laughs> but the kind of idea behind the name of the game jam came from that like the, it's such a tight-knit small group of people who form the whole of the swedish indie game developer community that, <laughs> yeah so that it's like okay we got to watch out we, we, when we travel in packs so you yeah. so you were you were mo so motivated by games that you learned a new language and then you traveled outside of your country by yourself to hang out with other game developers and make games which is amazing and, yeah, and but, what was it, what was it like when you finally got to this this jam and met all these people in person? Did it feel like I mean I, I remember my first GDC and feeling like wow they're real like I didn't just imagine these people. Is that what it was like for you? <laughs> yeah, I think there was definitely, for example, a lot of kind of fanboyism where I I was meeting these uh, kind of in some sense heroes of mine, like people that I people whose games I had played who had made some really cool, inspiring stuff that I had enjoyed a lot. For example, uh, Petri Purho, who made the uh, Seamus McNally yeah. award-winning uh, Crayon Physics Deluxe, uh, was at the first game jam I went into. And actually, because I, Petri I is I also... Love, I love Petri. I love him so much. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Pet Petri is a great, great person. And Petri is also because Petri is a Finnish, Finnish uh, developer. Petri was there. Uh, in this first No More Sweden, I went into also as a kind of a person that I know uh, who is older than me and knows how things work and is also yeah. Finnish. So if I run into like trouble, then they are like the person I can ask like for. A big, like uh, a big with. brother. Yeah. Uh, kind of kind of in that sense. I feel that my first Game Jam experiences were maybe uh, not quite as exciting as they could have been. I remember that at least the games I made were kind of not very good, but they were still very fascinating experiences. And especially when I went to uh, my first Nordic Game Jam, which is, I think, still the largest annual game jam in the world, organized yeah, in Copenhagen. Huge. Yeah, it's amazing. Huge, huge, huge. Big warehouse, tons of people. Yeah, and it was... Yeah, like I think this No More Sweden was for me very important in that I got to knew, know these people and I got to get like comfortable with the atmosphere and the sense of game uh, game jams, like physical game jams. But I think it might have been uh, not until at Nordic Game Jam that I kind of finally felt comfortable with the whole thing and kind of knew what I was doing and found my place in this big picture of game jams. And yeah, Baba Is You was made at Nordic Game Jam. So that's maybe speaks for itself in some way. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got to the game idea and, and what it what it means to you as a developer. Yeah, I guess I've been like 
discussing my past for 20 minutes now. So sorry no, about that. No, it's good. It's actually, it's really good because we don't get people, honestly, like, you know, the games industry is just learning to embrace younger people who have come up through these tool sets. And I think that you're probably the first person we've interviewed that's spoken explicitly to the experience of getting hooked on developing games with WYSIWYG tools and then those becoming a bridge. So I actually think it's really fascinating. And I think especially for people that are interested in Roblox, uh, Minecraft and other tool sets that are coming up now, um, like the stuff that's being developed in Hypixel, like that these are really, these are really interesting times. So I think you can be an inspiration to uh, the next generation of developers because you did it uh, when what they considered to be normal was still extremely advanced. So I like it. So let's talk about, let's talk about that first game jam and what, what brought the idea of Baba into your head. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I was in 2017. I was at Nordic Game Jam in yeah in Copenhagen, uh, and uh, I had actually planned because at, at that point the whole Game Jam thing was very familiar to me, and I, I had a lot of friends over there. I had kind of planned to maybe work on my existing game projects and maybe not even really participate in the Game Jam. Like I was nominally part of the Game Jam, but I I didn't really feel that I probably would have the energy to, to really make anything serious. Uh, but then the theme was announced and th the theme was not there. Nordic Game Jam doesn't require you to pay. Like you, you can make stuff uh, that follows the theme very vaguely. You are not really forced to like stick to the theme very uh, strongly or strictly. And... Uh, I had been playing some puzzle games, specifically block-pushing puzzle games, such as Stephen's Sausage Roll and uh, Snake Bird and uh, Good Snowman is Hard to Build. I think a Good Snowman yeah, is Hard are, to Build. Yeah, those are all they're, great they're, they're really great. And I think a, a Good Snowman is Hard to Build was the latest puzzle game I had play, played at that point, or maybe Cosmic Express from the, Express from the same developer. And uh, I had been wanting to make puzzle games for a long time and there were some design problems that I kept running into and trying to make those uh, time and time again uh, kind of yeah just kind of obstacles that I hadn't realized how to overcome and uh, when I heard this not their theme I started thinking for some reason that I cannot remember anymore of this kind of word not I kind of it just made me think about how in logic you can have some concept x or like happy and you can reverse the meaning of that concept by saying not x yeah. or not happy and it's the opposite of that yeah and uh through a process that is completely lost to me at this point three years later <laughs> yeah. uh, i kind of um this this block pushing game in, like inspiration from those, uh, inspiration from some other games I have played, and this logic concept combined in my head to form this to form this mental image of of a game that is a block pushing game where you have blocks of ice and then a pool of lava, and the lava is obviously hot. The blocks of ice, well, they are made of ice, and uh, when the ice comes in contact with the lava or even comes close to the lava, the ice melts. But you are able to state ice is not melt to prevent that. Uh, I'm really sad that I can't remember like the very first steps of that thought process that led to this concept. But I, that is like earliest I can remember that I have this yeah, ice, I have this lava. Yeah, it's, it's, it's often a mush, right? Like it's not something that... It's more like maybe a feeling or a series of connections that happens so fast. And then before you realize you're spacing out about it, you're spacing out about the idea. And then at some point you have the cognitive capacity to recognize that the idea is a concrete idea, but the beginning of it is always yeah. kind of, a, it's like almost like, I think of it as like, kind of like smelling a flower from far away. Like you can smell it and you're like, oh, that's a nice smell. And then at some point you realize there's a rose bush coming up on the street and then you stop and you smell the rose and then you go, oh yes, this is a beautiful rose. But like up until the point when you actually come out of your reverie, wherever you are, it's just, it's in, it's in the ether, right? Yeah. And also I, I feel that even though I keep a diary, uh, 
it would require some like extraordinarily uh, egoism on my part to kind of <laughs> keep track of my thoughts on such a level that I like would have written down my thought process at that point when I didn't really realize yet that the idea yeah. would be any good. Okay, so you had because, this idea, and then did you just like drive? Did you immediately drive to it? Did you talk to someone about it? What was your what was your process? Yeah, I, I kind of toyed with this concept. It seemed interesting on some level. Like it definitely stuck in my head that hey, yeah, I, I I could use like words to change what this ice is, like this logic knot thing. Uh, but my initial impression of this idea, what I usually do when I get an idea, is that I kind of think about it i toss it around in my head and see what i can like does it seem exciting and uh, this idea to be honest didn't seem exciting to me it seemed interesting but it it, it seemed boring in some ways it like seemed dry? like something sorry like dry it, yeah yeah like both a dry and and also something that it's kind of it had this smell of a puzzle idea that wouldn't lend itself very well to actual puzzles. Uh, also, it seemed like an idea that would be very difficult to uh, implement. Like I was afraid that I would run into sorry, logic programming problems. issues. Yeah. So I kind of, uh, yeah, I didn't feel very, very confident about it. But the nice thing about both these game creation tools, the multimedia fusion that I was still using at the time and, uh, and I'm still using at this time, uh, and uh, game jams in general is that the whole idea is that you can take a prototype you have in in your head or whatever idea you have in your head and try to make something about it uh, around it. If it doesn't work, that's fine. You can toss it away after the game jam. You are not like committed to the idea for longer than what the game game jam takes. And and yeah, sometimes there's, there's, not there's even no, there's no publisher saying where is it, where is it, <laughs> or threatening. Yeah, to yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And even like sometimes you are not even like bound to the idea, even for the full duration of the game jam. Like I remember in 2009, I think, or 2008, I made a game in one day for this Ludum Dare game jam, which is a two day game jam. Uh, I made like a frog, Cave Frog was the name of the game. And I was really, I, I wasn't happy with the game. And then the next day I took a walk. I had a inspiration and i decided okay i'll, I'll make a second game and my yeah. actual sub submission was the second game and i was really way more happy with that so sometimes you can even change plans during the game jam yeah uh, so i decided that okay this idea doesn't seem like it has much potential or it, maybe it has potential but it seems boring but I'll, I'll prototype it anyway uh and i started prototyping it and uh yeah i just from then, I had kind of a sense of what I need to do. I knew that I need to make a top-down perspective grid-based block-pushing engine. And I knew that I, I need to do a system where words can form sentences and those sentences can have meaning. And that's where I started. And during the game jam, as I got further, I kind of adjusted the idea in various ways. and. Uh, the one of the kind of explicit things I remember from then was that a game developer friend, Tim Garbos, uh, who had has, for example, made the game uh, What the Golf, which has been winning yeah. awards here and there. <laughs> it's a very amusing game. Uh, Tim Garbos uh, like walked behind me and started watching me work on Baba Is You. Uh, yeah. It didn't have a name at that point, I think. And Tim felt that, uh, I think, I think, Tim was drinking a beer and felt that, oh, that looks cool and yeah. walked away and later came back with, with another person, like a mutual friend that was like, hey, uh, this thing Arve was making looks cool. Looks neat. Yeah. Yeah. looks neat. Like to check it out. I think actually at that point, the game was crashing. I had a bug that I had to solve. So Tim had to <laughs> uh, retreat for a moment with said friend, uh, but they came back later and check, actually checked it out. <laughs> So I, I was kind of, during the game jam, I started getting a sense that people were interested in the idea. And then it Which ended is, up winning great, the game jam. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah this it was is definitely the, a motivator. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Like so often an idea can feel interesting, but you can work on it for years and years and years in your head and not show it to people. And 
some people do that out of a fear that their game ideas will get stolen. Some people do it out of just a fear of sharing. It's hard to put your art out there. But the game jam format allows you this kind of casual, like you said, non-committal commitment, right? You can you can work on something and you get the feedback from your community. And it's because it's not a competition necessarily in the sense that like mm-hmm. not everybody goes trying to win the game jam usually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a more relaxed attitude towards seeing the spark, I guess would be what I would call it. Would you agree? Yeah. Like Nordic Game Jam is, for me, it's a more relaxed game jam. I don't really approach or I do approach Nordic Game Jam in the sense that, yeah, there's going to be a winner. I would like to make something that people like, but it's still very laid back uh, for the most part. I don't feel super bad about making something that doesn't really uh, win anything. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's still maybe in the more competitive end of things. Like I know that there are usually every year there are some teams of people who approach it in a much more serious manner who actually kind of try to make something that wins the game jam. So it's it's maybe like I've definitely been at game jams that are more uh, experimentally driven than Nordic yeah. Game Jam. But for me, Nordic Game Jam kind of hits a good balance between kind of wanting to do yeah. something serious, but also just just hanging out, uh, hanging hanging around. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, it's it's definitely it de- it's definitely nice that. Uh, no, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, never mind. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So you're there, and you're and you win the game jam, and then at that point, did you think like, okay, now I, I mean, because if you if you look at games like this, if uh, you know everything from uh, Daniel Ben Mergi's work to, um, oh, I mean, there are so there are so many games in this category of like what I would call intellectual puzzle games with logic threads you know or language based threads when you when you look at these games um and you think about how how they work there are kind of two paths for them the one path is the developer has a very very furious and intense period of development on it and is able to generate a lot of really cool puzzles right away and then the other is that there's a little bit of a blip and then there's a long cold period where it's very difficult to come up with puzzles that really work for the system and then either you make it out on the other side or you don't. And so, like Petri's games, for example, um, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the games in this in this category, you could even look at really experimental games like New Cartographer and stuff. Um, they end up in these weird places where um, where they may or may not be something that is commercial, but they are fascinating to the developers. So what? Like, what was it like for you after the game jam, but before the game was done? Yeah, uh, actually, that that maybe relates slightly to uh, what I was thinking of saying. Like, uh, one thing nice about or interesting about game jams is that sometimes when you mention that you can have an idea that you can try out and see, like, that you feel is cool, but are afraid to show people. Sometimes a game jam can be also useful in that you try it out, you try out this concept you have in your head and notice that, okay, this doesn't work. And uh, like a variety of that is that you make something at the game jam and it works at the game jam. And then you, you can kind of maybe spend time prototyping that concept for a more full release, like a non-game jam version, and then realize that, okay, maybe this concept is so self-contained, so small, so something that it maybe doesn't support like a 20-hour commercial title. Maybe it's best to leave it either either as a game jam version or maybe like a slightly more polished, but still a very kind of bite-sized thing. And yeah. with Baba Is You, uh, when I won the game jam, I was still very unsure what to do with the game. Uh, um, part of the part of the reason was, I think, what I just said. I wasn't sure if the idea was something that I wasn't sure if it would make for very good puzzles. Like it might, uh, I felt that it might be that the game is cool to showcase when, uh, when like a, as long as the game has something new to show. But as soon as I run out of interesting things to show with the game, like this basic amusing interactions 
uh, the game gets way less interesting. Uh, and it should would be best to leave it as a, like a game jam or a slightly more polished, but a small thing. Uh, I was also conflicted because I felt that I felt that I could either make a sandboxy toy-like thing out of Baba Is You. I could make something that where people can play around with the words, make a thing where the levels can be solved in multiple ways. None of the levels are very difficult, but they kind of yeah. encourage the player to experiment with the words and do funny stuff with the words or i could take the game to a more serious puzzle game approach where the levels are maybe stricter in their requirements they have more definitive goals they limit your options more but they kind of require you to realize stuff and uh yeah, I felt that these two approaches were kind of incompatible because different yeah. kinds of players would be interested in uh, one, but maybe not the other. Yeah. Uh, so I spent some... Also, uh, some other developers, because Baba Is You has this thing where you can change what is you, the player. There's this word, you, which kind of changes what in the game world is conscious. Like, where is the consciousness of the player in the game world? And some other developers asked me if I had intentionally had this concept of, like, uh, kind of, maybe not, like, reincarnation, but, like, moving consciousnesses between entities in my yeah, head. Like, this agency. philosophical concept. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I hadn't. I, I just wanted to make a puzzle game. But it was very <laughs> fascinating for me that people saw this thing in the game. So I was also conflicted. Maybe maybe I should make a story-driven game. Maybe I should yeah, incorporate a message. Yeah, exactly. And uh yeah, I just I was conflicted about all of these things. But pretty quickly after the game jam, I think we went to eat in a restaurant with some indie developer friends afterwards. And I talked with some indie developer friends afterwards and I considered it myself afterwards. Uh and ultimately, I decided, okay, I like puzzle games. I like some very difficult puzzle games. Stephen Sausage Roll is a very difficult puzzle game, but I really liked Stephen Sausage Roll. Uh, same for Snakebird. I want to make a puzzle game. Uh, I, I, if I tried to make a sandboxy toy-like thing, uh, I probably would do a bad job of it because I'm not personally <laughs> a player of those kinds of yeah. games. Yeah, you made it uh, for yourself. Yeah, kind of, kind of. I, I, to be honest, like when I started making a full game out of the out of the prototype, I made a lot of decisions based on what would I feel most comfortable about personally. Like, what what is the approach where yeah. I will have the most fun making this game? And I'm happy I did. It could have backfired, but in this case, it didn't, and it led for a more enjoyable uh, development. Uh, well, and this is this is the question that everyone has to ask. I mean, I think if you look at Stephen Lavelle's games and Corpere, or you look at, uh, you know, uh, Michael Burrow, or even Petri's games, um, and a lot of the games in this milieu uh, that are about thinking about logic and time specifically, or the way that systems, large systems, interact. Um, in order to have the the the, I guess the chutzpah to push it through, to, to really do the logic and build out a system that doesn't have big holes in it. Um, you really have to be passionate about playing it and getting that sense of delight from, from beating it or from figuring it out, um, from, mm -hmm. from tinkering with it. So it's, it, it is a, I feel like there's something about the format itself of the puzzle game that encourages the designer to design the game that they would play because you have to have that passion to get through it. You know, it's a, it, it's a, it's not an easy thing to make a, a system that has, that is, that is self consistent and also reflected of your effort. And when you make changes, it, it says something back. That's a, it's very hard. It's kind of like building a musical instrument or, you know, uh, designing, you know, a new feedback loop. Like it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And so when you decided to go double down on puzzle and really, and get engaged with this, were there moments where you were like, oh, this game is going to be too hard. No one will like it. Or did you, did you get consistent feedback that you were on the right track? 
Uh, I was definitely at times at times very concerned about the game being uh, in multiple ways like unappealing to the players, especially early on when I decided that, or especially before I decided, but also afterwards that I will do like a minimalistic art style that I can do myself. I won't go for like 3D art. I will do the music and audio by myself. Uh, when I did, made those decisions, they were obviously, uh, they all obviously contained uncertainty about like, am I doing a terrible mistake with this? Uh, with the puzzle design itself, yeah, I did consider like, I want to make a puzzle game that is, difficult because I enjoy those kinds of puzzle games. And when I was designing puzzles, I sometimes felt that, oh yeah, this is tricky in a, in a way that I like. I'm happy about this puzzle because it's tricky. But I was also kind of worried that the game would be too tricky, that it would be too niche. I think puzzle games in general have kind of like a upwards battle uh, in comparison to many other, other genres because many other genres are not built around the concept of frustration and being stuck like puzzle games <laughs> yeah. are. Like in puzzle games, yeah. that's a very big part of the thing. Well, so this is an interesting question, actually. I think especially now, you know, as we're dealing with spending a lot of time at home and having a lot of time on our hands and looking at the kind of games that we play, um, to me, it seems like puzzle games, it, it is about being stuck or being frustrated, but that the skill that you develop if you can play all the way through the witness, for example, and get all the way to the ending, is the notion of patience uh, in the face of uncertainty or not knowing, right? Like that you can look at a system or a problem and you can absorb as many things as you want about it. And then at some point you put it away and then your brain just kind of has a secondary mode. Everyone's brain has it where it'll chew on a problem in the background. You know, this is what sort of Einstein has always said, right? You know, like, well, I just go for a long walk and then somehow the theory of relativity pops up. It, it, this, mm -hmm. this patience, this kind of the, the engagement with a system and then waiting to see if you can uh, almost auto-generate something in the background, that's a really interesting human skill. Do you think that maybe given our current situation, puzzle games have something to teach us in that respect? That is a very interesting interesting question. I, I, no one has ever asks, asked me that. Uh, hmm. I, maybe, maybe I wouldn't say that. Uh, like I, I could imagine puzzle games, puzzle games being a tool for some people to kind of learn more about patience. But I maybe I feel that the skills that go into solving puzzle games and the kind of aha moments of uh, considering a problem and then uh, stepping away from it and getting a, like an insight is... Mm, it has definitely kind of real-world counterparts. You used Einstein as an example. Like there are definitely places in real life where you spend time with a problem and cannot get anywhere and then later get an insight when you're doing something completely different. But maybe being stuck inside due to lockdown uh, lacks that kind of you you are you are not required to solve a problem except like how to not be bored and how to <laughs> how, how not to go outside and join protests against lockdown uh or despite. perhaps perhaps yep. i mean one of the more basic problems is just how to how to live with yourself you know like if we're also distracted and busy and doing so many things all the time, then when we're at home, we're doing our maintenance and our chores or we're sleeping. Um, and then suddenly to be, to be with oneself all the time is, is, I don't know, it, 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 it is interesting. It presents, I think it presents some people, some, some issues that, that go beyond the necessary, the, the sort of the immediate necessities of life and ask like, well, how do I entertain myself? I just find myself wondering like, hmm, maybe puzzle games will have a res resurgence, you know, <laughs> as people get through crosswords and physical jigsaws, maybe digital puzzle games will, will get, a, get a little bit more of people's time. It's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea to contemplate if, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that like a, Maybe maybe I misunderstood slightly slightly what you were uh, pondering earlier because I definitely agree that I could imagine that people could find new appreciation for certain kinds of puzzling 
during a time like this where uh, there's just like a lot of time a lot of time to just think about things and a lot of time to uh, that you need to figure out something to do with so yeah I, I, I guess I agree with that I was just kind of wondering of the if if the kind of being on lockdown and handling the lockdown process like what kind of similarities it could have to a puzzle solving experience but yeah yeah in the in the way you described it just now i i do agree with what you said so do you do you feel like now that you so you you made the game and it i mean spoiler alert it won a bunch of awards and it's done really well and you've ported it and it's reaching more and more people um do you feel like uh happy that people engaged with the system and have that patience with it because it is fantastic right the moment that you that you decide to do something with the words and then you get out of the puzzle situation and you just feel i'm so clever that feeling is really great like are you were were you genuinely surprised that it it was as popular and well received as it was uh well despite what i said earlier about having these concerns of the game being too difficult uh I pretty early on started having quite a lot of confidence that the game would be at least moderately successful because there were enough situations where people saw the game for the first time and found it amusing. Uh, I started sending test builds uh, after the game jam very quickly to like game developer friends. And over the years, well, the game was submitted to the Independent Games Festival and was showcased uh, during GDC. And it was in... Uh, 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 at Nintendo's booth in uh, Gamescom in 2018 and so on. So there were like a, several situations where I could get live feedback. Also, some people streamed the Game Jam version and I could see that the like stream viewers were excited about the idea. So I had, I did trust that the game would do well and that the idea of the game was so uh, interesting to people that even if the game turned out to be too difficult to, uh, for most, uh, they could still appreciate, appreciate the concept and uh, possibly check the game out. And actually, as a part of that, uh, a game developer friend of mine, uh, uh, Alan Hazelden, uh, who has made the game games like uh, Cosmic Express and uh, Good Snowman is Hard to Build, and is yeah. actually releasing their game... Uh, uh, a monsters ex- expedition to human exhibitions uh, sometime sometime soon. I don't remember the, the date. I recommend checking out the trailer. It looks really cool. Uh, they suggested, I think it was them who suggested having a way for players to beat the game very early. So even if they don't really want to engage with like extremely difficult puzzles, if they don't like <laughs> want to go all the way through the game they can still have like a final puzzle they can yeah. beat and feel that okay i did this yeah and now i'm done with the game i don't have to kind of give up i, I can say that i beat the game and uh, if i don't want to play the super difficult puzzles and get overly frustrated uh it doesn't matter i've, I've beaten yeah. the game and that was a very good suggestion uh that i did implement in baba is you and i feel that i'm not sure if it actually worked but I'd like to think that there were some people who might have been interested in the in the concept, who did check the game out and maybe played it until they couldn't enjoy the difficulty anymore and then maybe gave up or maybe went and beat that final level and say that, okay, that's enough for me. I like the yeah. game. It was like the rest of the game is too difficult for my interests and that's fine. Yeah, this is a really, it's a very interesting thing. When I, uh, years and years and years ago, when John Blow was first working on The Witness, we had a very similar discussion about there was maybe three or four puzzles in was really difficult. It was it was really hard. And I said, you know, why put this giant flag up that says you're not smart enough to play my game? And his response was essentially like, if you can't get past this, you're never going to finish it, right? And, and I was like, yeah, but I mean, like, why not? You know, <laughs> and so this idea of, I don't want to have to be as smart as everyone who finishes the game. I just want to be smart enough to see something cool. And then that's okay for me, right? Like I don't, 
I don't want to feel judged. And I think that this is a really interesting thing is, especially as you look at content systems like Roblox, for example, where there's lots and lots of experiences, people experiment, they go in, they spend time with their friends and then they move on. Like it's really about giving them something unique and interesting to do. It's not necessarily about getting them to be the perfect player or giving them a, you know, the best skill possible. And that's a, it's a very modern take on design. So I guess what I would love to ask you is like having made Bob as you and, you know, having this career based on kind of game jamming and thinking about games as an experiment, what are you trying to look at now? You know, like, what do you think are some things that are interesting to think about in terms of design now that you've done that? Uh, unfortunately, I think my answer will be kind of boring in a way because the, <laughs> uh, when I started working on Baba is You, as I mentioned earlier, I had some ideas of of like game projects that I had already uh, in the works before Baba is You came along. And when I started working on Baba is You, I had so much fun, so much fun working on Baba is You that I kind of eventually just agreed with myself that okay. I'll put all my other projects on hold. I'll just work on Baba Is You because this seems like it has the most potential out of these projects and it's also like what I want to do. Uh, so I I put my two main projects at the time uh, or two other main projects at the time on hold and I still haven't quite returned to either one of those. Uh, partially because one of those is a very over ambitious thing to do with a game creation tool like multimedia fusion like it's i i should just move on to something else if i want to make that one project and the other because uh during the time i worked on baba is you i grew uh increasingly disappointed with my design decisions with this other game uh which ah. is like the the sequel to my first commercial title that I made on my own environmental station alpha so uh, yeah. I I'll refer to it as ESA, ESA so ESA yeah. 2 yeah like in 2015 when I released ESA 1 I immediately started working on the sequel and uh, the problem with in immediately starting to work on something after you finish something else uh, like immediately starting a sequel is that you can kind of run or like paint yourself into a corner or kind of be too hasty with some decisions that you have to live with for the rest of the design process or you can obviously you can also just kind of promise to people that yeah i will do this and later regret the decision so with esa2 uh i had made some design decisions that I regretted over time. And during Baba is Used two-year development cycle, I was increasingly disappointed with those design decisions. I see. And when, sorry? I just said, I see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I started feeling that Baba is You would be about done, or when I kind of started feeling that maybe I should start returning to ESA2, uh, I actually felt that, okay, maybe it's better if I just restart the whole project from scratch, throw away two years of development, uh, the stuff I made between 2015 and 2017 before I started working on Baba Is You, and uh, fix those design decisions instead of trying to kind of fulfill my promise to fans of ESA1 and finish a game that I won't be happy happy with myself just to kind of get it done. And I did just that. So one of the projects that I have in my, like that I've kind of decided that I will keep working on is ESA2, which in some ways, like now that I've kind of made name for myself as the developer of Baba Is You, ESA2 is kind of a in a very different end of this kind of innovation, creativity, creativity, spectrum of things because yeah. ESA2 is like traditional metroidvania the main character is in color <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. the main character looks like Samus Aran the color scape is similar it's it happens in space it's like metroid yeah uh, but it, it has its own things that I enjoy doing uh so it's I'm, I'm not like it's enjoyable to work on that project 
maybe not as enjoyable as it was before Baba Is You came along, because now I have this kind of urge to do something more experimental again. But I still like doing something pretty traditional also has its perks. Yeah, there's something really nice about building something that's a that's a that's a love letter to a to a genre. Um, I'm currently working on a project that's a love letter to sort of early GBA and uh, DS games, which I really really loved as a especially as a student in college. I spent a lot of time grinding through uh, large levels of quantity of puzzles and stuff in yeah. like games like Superstar Saga and uh, the Ham Ham series. Oh yeah, Superstar and, Saga you know, is amazing. It's such a great game. And like, you know, even Princess Peach and some of these other like games that I played, you know, cart-based games, you know, where I would just grind and grind and grind and grind on these very basic mechanics. Like I really, there's something about that I really love. And yeah, designing a game like that is not as hard as coming up with something completely experimental, like in VR, for example. But it has a quality of it's like nourishing in a way. And I don't know, maybe, do you think there's like only so much experimental game juice in your head? Like, do you think that there's a limited quantity and you maybe needed a break from thinking about these really intense logic puzzles? Uh, well, uh, for me at least, coming up with experimental ideas is, definite, is definitely something that requi requires a lot of time for ideas to kind of mature in my head. Uh, even with Baba is You, even though Baba is You had kind of a unique process behind it where I, uh, where the idea kind of came to me suddenly out of the blue as a combination of things, there were still a lot of kind of a history behind this concept with this, those puzzle games. I had played like inspiration from other puzzle games uh, and the puzzle design in Baba is You is also has a lot of links to a lot of stuff that has happened to me or that I have played over the years. So for me, usually what I do is that I find ideas that I feel are interesting in some way that I feel that, okay, I want to do something with this. Usually those ideas are overly ambitious or in some other ways, like unfeasible to actually implement, but I still write them down or spend time kind of uh, pondering them and being yeah. excited about them, even though I kind of know deep down that, okay, I will probably <laughs> never do anything with this because this is just too large. Too huge, too huge. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes what happens is that those ideas kind of uh, nurture uh, other ideas or I can combine ideas from different overly ambitious projects to create something new that might not be overly ambitious. So uh, something with ba now that Baba is You is not really actually done. I'm still making the level editor. I'm still making new levels that will be released sometime this year, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a like making a level editor for actual like users to use is a uh, painful. Uh, it is. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I've, done I, it. I've committed myself fun. to it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's terrifying, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, like now that Baba Is You is kind of done in some sense of the word and it's been very success successful and it has won a lot of awards, I've been trying to kind of, uh, what is the word, condition myself to remember that whatever I do next won't be as successful. I should not be in the situation where I feel that my next game has to be Baba is You level of successful or even Baba is You level of experimental or Baba is You yeah. level of like, I don't, I don't know, inno innovative or whatever you want to use for that. So it's kind of, I just, I have these ideas I want to make. I want to be able to make those ideas and I want to be the kind of person who doesn't worry if my next game is a flop or is a yeah. game that people say that it's neat, but I was expecting something better from the developer of Baba Is You. I absolutely won't be that person. I will absolutely feel bad about people dissing something I do next because it's not as good as Baba Is You or comparing things I do next to Baba Is You. It's inevitable, but I'd, I'd like to kind of avoid that as much as I can. Yeah, that's actually, I think it's a survival technique for any designer. You know, if you make something that appeals to people uh, on a broad scale, you've kind of struck gold in that the timing was good, the audience was ready, 
there wasn't anything else that came out that same month that was directly competing with it. You know, there's so many things. I mean, think about all the people that were getting ready to launch big titles right when we were all told suddenly to go to lockdown and everyone had a panic attack, you know, this, yeah. or if, if, you, if you, you think you're going to do something and then suddenly a developer on your team gets really sick or, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen in a game process. So when a game does really well, it's a miracle and uh, it's great, but you can't, you can't expect to just have bottled lightning every time, right? And that's, yeah, you know, that that is actually, I think it's a kindness to yourself and it's it's a good thing to remind aspiring developers and, you know, established developers alike that not everything is going to be your first big game and also not everything should be. As you as you mature, you, you get different things out of different projects that you work on. And I think, you know, you've spoken to this before, but I think this idea of, of living your best life while being a developer is better than crunching for the idea of of some kind of respect or fame or money or whatever, because then the life you're living day to day is 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 not that great. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, well, obviously, I'm I'm in like a super privileged position, not only because of Baba is you, just like general. Like I've I've I I shouldn't be talking about anything when it comes to like hardships about anything ever because I'm. Like I, I just like I just as a forward, and especially now that Baba Isu has been so successful, I like me giving advice to anyone like how to how to face hardships or how to stand it when your game doesn't do well or if your game is good but no one notices it, like how to react to that. I no one should be asking me for advice on that because I kind of <laughs> I would be a terrible person to give that kind of advice. I but I feel that. For me, even before Baba Is You, when I was releasing ESA 1, I had this comforting idea or thought that mm, nowadays there are so many people playing games that if I can be in a situation where I can get even a small audience for, for my game, like if, if I can get feedback from people and get a sense that some people are noticing my game and some people are con uh, like, commenting on it and some people are like noticing it in some way then that's great and uh, my kind of utopian concept is that because people have been talking so much about like the indie crash and how so many games get lost without anyone noticing it I feel that like the one uh, possibly uh, overly naive a uh, compromise between every game getting the attention of everyone and only a couple of games getting the attention of everyone and most games getting the attention of no one uh, there would be like a, this there could be this world where when you release a game uh unless it's like exceptionally well advertised or you have ex exceptionally good connections or you are exceptionally lucky or it's it's just exceptionally good uh you might still find a niche for yourself where you have like a moderate audience where you can be successful on some level and get like the satisfaction of getting feedback for your game from players even if it doesn't like even if it if it's not like a major success yeah and, uh, i mean this is this is kind of the idea of making a game as an art form right like you make it you get some feedback People enjoy it. You've expressed something true to yourself, and then if they get something out of it, then that's that's art. You know, that's that's a process, and you don't always make a lot of money doing that, but there's something fulfilling about it, right? Yeah, and I feel like like the biggest shame in indie games right now are the situations where someone makes something that they they uh, actually are really proud of, that they actually spent a lot of time and effort on, that doesn't get any attention like the, the saddest situation is where someone like something get actually gets lost in the void that is something that i wish no one would have to experience uh but the kind of situation where someone releases something and it gets some attention that they can feel that hey i had in this subgroup of people my game was uh, maybe not even liked but like just received and it yeah. got the kind of critical response uh, that people felt that it deserved. Okay, well, that's that's badly said. I don't want anyone to get like trolled or get like <laughs> angry messages. But just kind of like just getting 
even a small subgroup of people as your audience is already, especially for like an aspiring new developer, something to strive for. And what I'm hoping for is that when I make my next game, uh, maybe, I don't know, depending on circumstances, maybe it takes me so long to make a new game that everyone has already forgotten Baba is You. Maybe I will get those like angry messages that, hey, this is not Baba is You 2. What, what, what are you doing? But what I'm kind of hoping for that even if my next game won't be as successful as Baba is You and it won't win maybe any awards at all or it like, I don't know, it's just, it's not successful. I can still be in the situation where it gets that like small niche group of people who actually pay attention to it and give me feedback because that is kind of the base level base level that is required for me to feel that hey making this thing was actually worthwhile in some sense yeah Yeah. i think that's fantastic i really appreciate you taking this hour to talk to us and of course um you should check out baba's you it's amazing it's fun uh it it is whimsical and there are moments of really true true genius in the in level designs and you don't have to play all puzzles to feel smart i can tell you that <laughs> as a person who has played it myself thank you so much rv for your time we really really appreciate it and we wish you well stay safe stay inside and uh and keep making great games thank you very much thanks for having me here and uh, uh absolutely the same to you like uh stay healthy uh take care and uh yeah thank you very much Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.